The great writer, one of my heroes, Toni Morrison, once said, I know the world is bruised and bleeding, and though it is important not to ignore its pain, it is also critical to refuse to succumb to its malevolence. This was in 2015 for an article in The Nation. She wrote that in times of despair, this is precisely the time when artists go to work. This is Raw Material, an arts and culture podcast by SF MoMA. I'm Geraldine Asu, and I'll be your host for a season about art, community, and social justice. We're on the move. Art is a journey, a departure, an uprooting from ourselves, our thoughts, our homes. We take leave of the familiar. We are snatched. We embark. We are transported. So this is my, you know, even though I don't like to cook with curry powder very often, I do have a soft spot for S&B, Japanese curry powder. It always comes in this tin, which I love. I gotta say, it's a pretty, it's a pretty homey, homey smell to me. <laughs> it reminds me of my mom. <laughs> Sita Kuratomi Bamak is an artist working in Oakland, California. Her art is an encounter with both the materiality of migration and the ghosts of its history. Her instrument of investigation, the spice commonly known as curry. So in its more current form, I've been doing um, a lot of installations with curry powder into the walls of galleries, museums. The vibrant color of curry powder can be a shock to the institutional walls, its aroma an oddity to the sterile air. It's these collisions that interests Bomek. We're used to experiencing gallery spaces a certain way, that you're supposed to keep your hands to yourself, and you know it's okay to talk but you know not so that it's overtaking the room and so when people are presented with a piece that asks them to interact with it or maybe shift down or crouch down really low or taste something um, it's breaking those rules and so i see a lot of times people kind of like tiptoeing towards the wall and it's it'll take a while but then finally somebody will go up and smell it We're in Bomek's kitchen, and she's fixing us a snack. Seemed appropriate since she uses food for her art. Whoa! Wow, sorry. That does not usually happen. (laughs) My mother is Japanese. She was born and raised in Colombia. My father's from a tiny village outside of Calcutta in West Bengal. And I remember being maybe like five or six years old, and my mom would make the delicious, salty um, Japanese curry that comes out of a box, usually SMB golden. That was one kind of curry that we ate. And then my dad would, you know, he didn't really call it curry, um, but the, the really kind of funny thing about Indian food is that people in India don't call the dishes curry. Curry is not, in fact, authentically Indian at all. 
when the British first came to India in the 17th century, they were introduced to thousands of dishes that they had never encountered before. The story goes that the word curry comes from the British, who took it from the Portuguese, who themselves were adapting it from the South Indian word curry. But while curry referred to spices that seasoned sautéed meat and vegetables, curry came to describe rich sauces made with nuts and spices that were poured over rice. That's very different. And as we know, history is written by the victors. So when the catch-all term curry traveled back to Britain, it traveled to other places as well. So, <laughs> you know, so I, I really went down this huge multi-year rabbit hole of thinking about, oh my God, like, is this, is this me as a self-portrait? You know, like, is curry powder, because of its connection to so many, to the spice trade and to, you know, this moment of globalization, um, does, you know, like, is this, is this me in a can? Along the way, I, I realized also that curry is a way of identifying people as different. Um, so I was on Yahoo Answers one night, super late, and I found this question and it said, it said, help my neighbor smells like curry, what should I do? And the answer said, call the INS, and, which is now ICE. Um, and to me, I had been researching race and the construction of race as being something visual, that you see race. People are white, black, yellow, brown, red. But this was the first time that I thought, oh my God, people are actually thinking about race as something that you experience or that you smell um, or deciding if somebody's legal status, you know, makes sense based on what they might be cooking. And that was really disgusting and horrifying to me. So I flung it on the ground. I dyed tablecloths and napkins with it. Uh, I made perfume out of it. I worked with Yoshana, a local perfumer, to make a curry-scented perfume. I figured, you know, why not just let South Asian people smell like curry? Why not everybody smell like curry? And <laughs> Bomek's work with spices includes installations titled To Curry Favor, Dear Future, and Acquired Taste. My dad had given me in India this, um, this little replica of the Taj Mahal, and it was wrapped in this kind of crumbly, beautiful um, paper on the outside that kind of vaguely looked like the evil eye. And I was looking at it one day and I was like, wow, you know, this little replica of the Taj Mahal speaks to this idea of like our fantasy of what we think India is, not what it actually is. And that's in a way what curry is. It's like this fantasy of what we think India is. It's not actually what India is. I once read this passage from a Jamaica Kincaid novel. It's called A Small Place. And in it, she's talking about the ocean. So just imagine, it's your vacation and you're on an island in the Caribbean. It's called Antigua. You're looking out into the water. It's calm, it's glittering, it's beautiful, and it's totally yours. And in the stillness of that moment, as you're thinking of yourself on the beach, under the sun, the heat hitting your skin, Kincaid folds into that moment all the things that we've erased just so that we can imagine ourselves. She says, the Caribbean Sea is very big and the Atlantic Ocean is even bigger. It would amaze even you to know 
the number of black slaves this ocean has swallowed up. How many untold stories have been sunk in that ocean? And how will they resurface? Part of the political project of annihilation of these people is a disappearance of them, is an erasure. That's black British artist John Acomfra. Throw them out to sea, they disappear, they didn't exist. Acomfra is based in London and he's a founder of the Black Audio Film Collective. His work is often described as an investigation into collective memory. He uses images, both new and archival, shedding light on the living legacies of the forgotten. So this act of using the images is part of an act of exhumation for people who will never be exhumed practically, literally, again. They are gone. Between 1525 and 1866, more than 12.5 million Africans were enslaved and brought to the, quote, New World. Loaded onto ships as human cargo, they crossed the Atlantic Ocean. Not everyone survived the journey. Approximately 2 million people perished on the Middle Passage, en route to North America, the Caribbean, and South America. So one way in which one does this project is you say, something has gone. And I want to uh, have now a language of mourning and elegy, which is not just a poetic language, but has a certain political efficacy. And part of that political efficacy is to say to power, you thought they disappeared. Well, think again, because they're back. In 2015, Acomfra released Vertigo C, a film installation that fuses archival material, readings from classical sources, and newly shot footage as a meditation on what Ralph Waldo Emerson called the sublime sea. At some point, whether you're uh, an enslaved African in the 18th century or, uh, you know, someone trying to escape from, from Vietnam after the, the fall of Saigon or, you know, um, an Algerian political prisoner who has been caught by, you know, the French Secret Service in the 50s. All of them at some point would have to face this question of an encounter with the sea which could prove fatal. As a three-screen installation, you might see sweeping swells of water curling over in a sun-streaked ocean, side by side with a scene of enslaved Africans on a boat, stumbling and shackled, getting pushed one by one into a sea of the discarded. This next to a screen showing a black man dressed in period clothing looking out to the ocean. Accompanying these visuals are spoken word references to Herman Melville's Moby Dick and Heathcote Williams's poem, Whale Nation. Part of what I, my project has been about is trying to, in some ways, erase certain kinds of borders. Uh, borders that delimit and prescribe the correct ways in which identities or events can be brought together in something. 
This is evident in Acomfort's commitment to what he calls the philosophy of the montage. That is, it's this idea that when two images collide, when they meet, they start to talk to each other. There's a dialogue that happens between them. And through that relationship, there's a new meaning that emerges, what he calls a third meaning. You know, it's, it's about how one describes the world and what, what you think is of value in the world. Um, you see, no one asks this question about capital. No one asks this question about money or goods. Can goods move? Well, of course. I mean, that's just accepted as natural. <laughs> People are well. You know, so, so it's okay for Vietnamese um, pineapples to, to be in London. It's okay for Malaysian mangoes to be here, Nigerian yams. And, but not Malaysians, Vietnamese, or Nigerians. Um, and there's something wrong with that neoliberal logic, where, where people make goods, services, commodities more important than human beings. I, I'm about trying to reverse that <laughs> logic. I just saw in the news yesterday uh, all the states that where ICE is going in and deporting illegal immigrants, if that kind of mentality existed in America uh, in the time that my mother came, my mom would have been deported back to China. Flo Oi Wang is a Chinese-American multimedia artist whose work primarily explores the history of Asian immigration in America. I, I really also was very aware that people of color, and especially Chinese-Americans, were not present at the contemporary art and culture table of America. So I, I had a need to do away with the stereotypes of Charlie Chan and Susie Wong because those were very insulting. They weren't us. Wong, now in her late 70s, was born here. Her mother, however, came to the States after the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act, which essentially barred Chinese laborers and their families from coming to America. Sound familiar? And so when that happened, my father, like many Chinese immigrants, they had to come up with ways to bring their family in. With the Exclusion Act, only blood relatives of U.S. citizens would be allowed to enter the country. But with the San Francisco earthquake in 1906, many public birth documents were destroyed, and this created an opportunity. A black market opened up for the sale of fraudulent documents, paper identities. When... I was young and curious. I would ask them questions, and then they would say, uh, why are you pulling that out to talk about? Shh, shh, we don't want to talk about that. My mother was a paper sister, and so we had reason to keep secrets, and secrecy was our currency. Oh, let me turn on the we're at Wong's house, and I've come here to ask her about the story behind Made in USA, Angel Island, shh. It's a 25-piece installation that exhibited at Angel Island in the year 2000. Angel Island was the immigration station where many Chinese migrants were detained, interrogated, sometimes for weeks, sometimes for months. So the Made in USA rice sack flags are composed of an embellished rice sack sewn onto a flag of the United States. 
Each rice sack flag tells the story of a Chinese migrant who came to the United States under a paper identity. On the interior of the rice sack, I have hand-painted the definition of interrogate. To ask a question, especially to seek answers which the person questioned considers personal or secret. Following that text, Wong then exposes the paper secret of that person, shedding light onto years of silence and shame. She claimed her husband as her brother. This is my mother's immigration secret. One of the most stirring features of the rice sack flags for me is the printed name of the person whose story is represented. Of the 25 flags, only one person agreed to have both their paper name and their birth name printed for display, a kind of nod to their dual identities, an outing of themselves and the stories of so many. I wanted to honor people like my parents and the other immigrants who worked so hard to help to build this country that to remove the stigma of shame that they had, you know, it was like they were always going to be second-class citizens. They would always be invisible. They would always be under the radar. They worked so hard. I wanted people who deserve credit to get the credit and to remove the stigma of, hey, you don't belong. Art is a journey in search of something to belong, to escape, oftentimes both. Our journeys are not always by choice and our arrivals are not always welcome. But we go because we've been taken, because we've been exiled, because we have little choice, because we must survive. But we are never alone. We travel together and in that we create something new. Next time on Raw Material. We don't usually lick sculpture <laughs> or take it in the tub. When I abandoned La Chica Boom, I, in some ways I also felt like I was abandoning this idea or this fiction about Latinidad. How could I grow and manipulate the, the meat of my body to have a sort of expression of gender? We're talking about art and the body. Join us. Season two of Raw Material is produced by the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art and me, Geraldine Asu. The music you heard in this episode was from Revolution Void, Poddington Bear, and Secondhand Rose. The drumming was performed by Zach Juf and the Giamano Cura West African Dance Company. And a big thank you to Maurice Steril and the Tate for the audio of John Acomfra. To learn more about what you heard today, visit sfmoma.org backslash raw-material. We'll see you next time.